Well, hello again and welcome to The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne and it's great to be with you again. For those of you who are receiving this episode of the podcast, this is a free edition and it's been quite a few weeks probably since you've heard from me and that's partly because there's been some partner-only posts but also because I've been on holidays. And in the tradition of what we had to do, at least at school when I was growing up, when you came back from holidays, very often the first thing you had to do was write a little composition what I did on my holiday. And so in today's episode of The Painful Truth, it's what I did on my holiday by Tony Payne, aged 58 and a half. Plus, there'll be some bonus thoughts later on on preaching uh, from Phil Wheeler and David Jackman um, in response to a piece I did on preaching a little bit earlier. But let's turn to the subject of holidays. And holidays may be a painful subject for many of you. Maybe you're longing for a holiday and, like us, have been prevented from having holidays for quite some time. Certainly it's been ages since we've been able to get away. And when you do leave town and drive off, it's, it's hardly the time for deep thought or analysis. It's perhaps a time for some quiet musing. Sometimes I engage in some musing as the miles drift by down the highway and the favourites compilation is playing on the stereo and Alison's usually having a little snooze in the seat next to me. But nothing too mentally taxing, certainly no writing of painful truths on the back of napkins or anything like that. However, now, now that I'm back, after two very refreshing weeks and trying to reboot my writing brain for a new season, it's a good time to reflect on why holidays are so good and so important and why this particular holiday was so good. And I guess it's partly that this time, unlike pretty much every previous attempt at holidays over the last couple of years, we actually succeeded in getting away. Everything actually fell into place for once. No flood or fire or plague prevented us. The weather was glorious. The, the mountain trails we walked on were spectacular. The novels I read were very good, very diverting, very profound. I'll tell you about some of them below. It was what people call these days a special time. And that's what a holiday is, I suppose. It's a holy day. That's where the word comes from. A special or distinctive day, that's what the word holy means. A holiday is a set-apart, distinctive time. And originally, these were set-apart, holy, distinctive days for celebrating some of the special days of the Christian calendar. But even more originally, of course, the idea of setting apart certain special days to stop working goes back, well, goes back to the very beginning, doesn't it? God did it at the creation of the world, and he commanded his people, he commanded Israel to do likewise, to have a stop day, a special day when you ceased from what you were doing, from work. That's what the word Sabbath means. It means to cease or to stop or to rest from doing something. And interestingly, when God does tell his people in the Ten Commandments to observe a day of stopping, a day of ceasing, in the two different versions of the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, a different rationale is given for observing this day of stopping or ceasing. In Exodus 20, the reason that's given is that, and I quote, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and stopped or rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath, the rest, the stop, and made it holy. There's a time to stop working, says the commandment. 
And remember that everything comes to you from the hand of the mighty creator. Every single thing you do, every work that you engage in, and everything you experience and enjoy as a result of your labors, all of these things come from the God who created everything and then stopped and finished, who completed the entire creation, who made everything that has been made. As John 1 says, without him was not anything made that was made in uh, those almost Yoda-like verses of John 1. We can only work and then only stop from working and enjoy what we've produced through our work because God has made every single thing. The commandment is really saying to his people, don't think for a minute that you're self-sufficient and don't let a week go by without stopping and living out and enacting the truth that the majestic creator made you and made everything and then stopped and finished and rested. Now, it's certainly true that stopping, pausing to enjoy the fruit of our work and the results of our labors is really good for us. And it is very mentally and physically refreshing. But I think the main reason to stop is because God stopped. There's nothing we can add to his creation in that sense. It's all from him. We're always working gratefully and trustingly with what he has provided for us, with his raw materials. We are, in other words, inescapably finite, and we're inescapably contingent beings as well. We need rest, and we are utterly dependent on our creator for life and breath and everything. And resting from work, whether one day a week or a couple of weeks a year, is a recognition of that and a celebration of that. But interestingly, uh, Exodus, as we've just seen, looks back to God's finished work, as it were, in creation. But the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Words looks back to God's powerful work in redeeming Israel from the slavery of Egypt. The rationale for keeping the, the rest day or the stopping day in Deuteronomy 5 is this. It says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day, the day of rest or ceasing. Don't forget, says this version of the commandment, don't forget that everything you're enjoying here in the promised land, in the land of milk and honey, is an act of pure grace. It's God, the Lord your God, who strong-armed you, so to speak, despite all your weakness and rebelliousness, and brought you out of Egypt and into this land that you're enjoying. In other words, it's important to stop the relentless round of working and achieving to remember that we don't deserve any of it. On the contrary, we deserve something quite different from God, given the kind of people we are. And the fact that we do enjoy so much goodness from his hands in our work and as the result of our work, it's all because of his generosity and mercy, not our merit. I'd like to say that these various profound theological thoughts and underpinnings about the importance of rest and of holidays. I'd like to say that these were at the absolute forefront of my mind over the past two weeks, but 
well, let's just say to claim that would be to infringe another of the commandments, so I won't do that. All the same, on this first day back at work, I can see very clearly why ceasing from work is so important, not just to respect my own created limitations, but to rely on and rejoice in the goodness and redeeming power of my Creator. So what did I do on my holiday? Well, what I did on my holiday was in, to enjoy the blessing of God, Creator and Redeemer, the God who made a world so full of beauty and goodness to enjoy, who made us with the ability to create beautiful and good artefacts from his raw materials, things like movies and novels, and to enjoy the fact that God blesses us with these things and gives us the ability to enjoy them and revel in them, not because of who we are and not because of our works, but in spite of them. Well, that's what I did on my holiday, and I hope it gives you a fresh appreciation for the importance of stopping and resting and for holidays. And I do hope that you manage to get one soon if you haven't had one in the last little while. And I know that many of us haven't. It's certainly been quite a long time since Ali and I were able to get away just because of the last crazy couple of years we've lived through. And I do hope that God blesses you with some time to rest soon. Now, for me, a good holiday involves not only leaving my own home and, and temporarily inhabiting another, but also taking a rest from my own mind and reality and temporarily inhabiting another. In other words, I really like to read good novels on holidays because the best novels do that for you. They take you to a different world seen through the mind of the creator of that world, that is the novelist. And if that world is compellingly drawn and the action that takes place within it is artfully managed, there's not only the pleasure of experiencing a story that's well told, but you perceive something about the world, something true or insightful, or some important question is raised about the nature of the world and of, of our reality in the telling of that story. That's what a, a good novel does. And the two that I enjoyed most this time around, one was called Silence by Shisaku Endo, um, Japanese novelist and translated into English, of course. It's an extraordinary story, a beautiful story, very beautifully written story about the persecution, the quite brutal persecution, suffered by Christian missionaries in 17th century Japan. And in the midst of this story, the, the questions that come up very powerfully are where or how does God speak in the midst of really quite unimaginable suffering and persecution? And if, like the main character in this story, who's a Jesuit missionary, if you were given the choice to trample, literally to trample, on the face of Christ in order to save other believers from a slow, agonizing death by torture, what would you do? What do you think Christ would have you do? Really beautifully told story and very thought-provoking. That's Silence by Shizaku Endo. And a very different novel I read, uh, Endo is a Christian and a novelist, and so in that sense a Christian novelist. Uh, the other author I read, also interestingly of Japanese heritage, although he's, he's English, he was born in Japan, but he's really English, Kazuo Ishiguro. Uh, I read his novel, Never Let Me Go. Ishiguro's an atheist, I think, or certainly an agnostic, certainly, probably an atheist. It tells a haunting story of a world like our own, but slightly different, in which human clones are allowed, in fact, are created and raised for organ donation. 
And as the story unfolds, it's told from the perspective of one of these young people as they, as she grows up, as she remembers her childhood, as she looks forward to what's in front of her. Really profound questions get raised. Uh, what does it mean to be human or to have a soul? And who is the more human? The clones who try to come to terms with their purpose and their destiny in life, which is an early death after multiple organ donations, or the people who have created them for this chilling purpose. It's a very moving and haunting story, Never Let Me Go, by Kazuo Ishiguro. Anyway, those were some of the novels I read. So if you're a novel-reading person, check out those two. I think you'll enjoy them. Now, in the rush to get everything finished before I went away, I forgot a few things. One of them was to pass on to you a recommendation for another podcast. A friend of mine in the US, Champ Thornton, runs a great little podcast called In the Word on the Go. And it's a little 10-minute podcast, and each episode looks at a single verse of the Bible. And he has a guest on each time talking about this particular verse. Usually it's that person's favorite verse or a verse that's meaningful to that person. Uh, to explain and kind of give a little mini exp explanation of the verse and why it's so important. Uh, it's a really clever idea. It's aimed at individuals or it's something you can listen to in the car or with your family. It's aimed at such a way that if kids are in the car, it works as well. And if you go across to In The Word On The Go and search for my name, you'll find that I, I was one of the guests on um, Champ's podcast just a, a few weeks ago. It's a really, really cool idea that he's doing. And... Um, You'll, if you check out the episode with me in it, you'll find out the strange Bible verse that was key to my conversion in two chronicles. Not everyone's favorite Bible verse, but that's where mine is. Another quick thing to catch up on, uh, just as I get back into the groove of everything, just before we, I went away, I received a couple of really excellent responses to the article I did or the post I did on preaching and on the newish kind of definition of preaching that I was putting forward to do with how preaching is something that seeks to do for our hearers what God was doing in the passage uh, that we're trying to preach. And a number of people responded, and there were two really excellent responses that I just wanted to share with you because they were excellent. Uh, the first is from Phil Wheeler, mate of mine who runs evangelism and new churches here in sydney and is also involved with word partners word partners is a an international training ministry it used to be called leadership resources international lri and it basically seeks to train preachers all around the world uh, and so phil's thought quite a lot about preaching and training preachers and he says this and i quote i think the movement from exegesis that is what is this passage about what does it teach to the preached word, what does it mean for us? What is the transforming, compelling truth for today? Is exactly where many of our sermons fall down. Uh, this is where I like the language and questions used by word partners. Questions like, so what? That is, what is the, how does the descriptive content move to a preached contention? How does it prosecute a case? Explain to me why this matters. Preachers should ask, so what, as they're preparing their sermons. And secondly, what is the transformational intent of the passage or author? Uh, this is similar, Phil says, to the what is God doing question. Transformation, he suggests, is a better term. It captures more as it can be a renewed mind or a circumcised heart or reoriented will or Christ-like behaviours. The idea of transformation is broader. And since the goal of preaching ought to be transformation, it's a great question to ask. 
Phil says, I also like to ask the question, after reading this passage, what would you pray for? This often unpacks the real heart of the passage and the response to it. I've often heard preaching or even preached myself and was not especially clear on the main idea and application until the prayer at the end. Turning our mind towards God and asking him to help us sharpens the thinking. Sometimes I've wished that I preached the prayer point instead of the sermon. Uh, I also think asking and appreciating the tone and mood of the passage are very helpful in getting transformation and appropriate application right. Encouraging, warm, pastoral passages ought to be just that in application. Challenging, warning passages ought to have such a tone as well. So a sermon on Ephesians 1 shouldn't be an arid treatise on predestination. These are really excellent thoughts. If you want to chew over those thoughts further, you might want to head over to the Painful Truth website. Read the original article, if you haven't done that already, on what is God doing. I think the article is called, What is the Preacher Doing? And uh, you'll also see in this week's post over on the website, these uh, quotes or responses from Phil and from David Jackman, who I'm about to tell you about as well, if you want to read these and, and ponder them yourself. Uh, David wrote in on quite similar lines. David, of course, has, has been a great preacher and trainer of preachers for decades. He was for a long time the head of the Proclamation Trust in the UK. And he writes uh, to say that he's interested in, in this newish definition of preaching um, and largely agrees with it. David says, I think the strength of your definition is that it takes us beyond simply explaining the surface meaning of the passage to its transformational intention. There's that language again. Uh, this may be pastoral or ethical or evangelistic, and I think this is where good preachers often get stuck. They know, quite rightly, that they need to work hard at their exegesis, relate the text to its literary, historical, and whole Bible context, reflect on the biblical theology and systematics issues which the text raises or clarifies, but they don't build the bridge to the lives their hearers live 24-7. Instead of doing for their hearers what God is doing in the passage, we could call it the transformational purpose, they tend to leave them on the Bible side of the bridge, but never land their sermon or their hearers at the other end in contemporary application. I think that's why they often cast around to create some action step, which then becomes a bolt-on application and therefore lacks grip and penetration. Often this is selected from the ought-to that most preachers carry around with them. We ought to pray, we ought to witness, we ought to study the Bible, etc. And it's very easy for me, listening in the congregation, to shrug that kind of application off because it doesn't come with the authority of the preaching doing what God was doing when he inspired this word. As Dick Lucas used to say, it doesn't go for the jugular. I agree that this definition also helps us to uphold but clarify the reformers' expectation that faithful biblical preaching is the word of God. What this establishes is that this faithfulness is not just propositional, but transformational. That's a very helpful response, David, and thank you so much for making it. Um, I particularly like the fact that you point out that an application that doesn't arise from what the passage itself is doing, that is, a response that is called for that isn't the response that the text itself is urging and calling for is often a, a kind of application or response that, that passes straight over us. It doesn't come to us with real penetration. It doesn't cut to our heart because it doesn't spring from the word itself. It, it feels like it's tacked on. Uh, that's a very helpful point. After 50 years or so of preaching and 
teaching others to preach. David's actually got two books coming out later this year, he tells me, on this subject. There's a short book especially aimed at beginner preachers called From Text to Teaching, From Text to Teaching, and that's going to be published by Matthias Media later this year, hopefully. And there's a more comprehensive uh, collection of David's reflections on a lifetime of preaching and training preachers called Transforming Preaching, which I think is a kind of a double-meaning title there, Transforming Preaching. And that's going to be published by Christian Focus, I think, in the middle of this year, by about June. And so look out for those two titles from David coming up if you want to dig further into these ideas. Now, this is one of the occasional freebie editions of The Painful Truth. It goes out every three weeks or four weeks or so to the whole list. And if you're one of those people, one of the free listers, and you're thinking about possibly subscribing to get every edition every week, for just a few measly dollars a month, and also supporting me and my writing ministry as you do so. If you're thinking of doing that, don't. Hold fire. Don't do it. Because in just a couple of weeks' time, a special offer is coming along that you might really want to take advantage of. And there's nothing worse, is there, than sort of taking the plunge and buying something or subscribing and then discovering kind of a week later that you've just missed out on the special. So hold fire. A special is coming and you might want to act on that when it comes. Well, that will do for this week. Certainly, that's quite enough. Nice to be back again talking with you and thinking about the truth of Christ crucified together and what it means for every aspect of our lives, even that aspect of our lives which is resting and stopping. Hope that those reflections were helpful. And I'll be back again soon with another edition of The Painful Truth. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.